Mindfulness Mode, 269. Maybe you're just aware of this sort of stressful, tense, tight, constricting feeling. Whatever you're most aware of, become aware of it. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Thanks for listening again today. If you're new, thanks for tuning in. It's great to have as many listeners as possible. And hey, would you mind just sharing the word about mindfulness so more people can enjoy the benefits? And speaking of benefits, last time we talked with a guest who is very, very knowledgeable about self-love, how to find self-love, what that really means, how so many of us are actually beating us up, beating ourselves up. That's sometimes called self-bullying. And she explains how to stop doing that and replace it with self-love. So check back to episode 268 with Joy Cheng. It's mindfulnessmode.com slash 268. Today, we're talking a little bit more about NLP. And we have been talking about this a bit on the shows in the last few weeks. And that's why I thought I would bring on the founder of a center where they primarily teach NLP. It's called the INLP Center in California and the founder is on with us today so I'm honored to have him on to explain this whole journey that he's taken toward learning and teaching NLP so this is going to be a huge benefit for you just as it was for me as I touched base with him so sit back relax and let's learn together all about NLP Hey, Mindful Tribe, today is your lucky day because today we're going to devote our interview to NLP. And I've got the NLP guy here with us, Mike Bundren. Mike, are you in mindfulness mode? I'm in mindfulness mode, here, ready, present, and available. I'm ready. Ah, this is great. Mike Bundren is a master NLP practitioner. And of course, you know, NLP is Neuro Linguistic Programming. So we're going to talk all about it. He's the founder of the INLP Center. He's a former psychotherapist. He's retired now, but he's co-founder of Healthy Times Newspaper. He's also a featured blogger on the world's uh, top mental health website called psychcentral.com. And Mike has unique perspective on self sabotage and he knows how to empower his clients to reach higher levels of emotional health and there's so much more but we're just going to dig right in and we're going to get started with the topic of mindfulness what does it mean to you mike it's a great question and uh it turns out i've been thinking about it for for quite some time and so knowing that you were going to ask that today has sort of allowed me to kick my thinking into turbo mode, getting ready. And I'm really interested in in what you have to think about it too. But I think of mindfulness as actively experiencing your experience as opposed to passively experiencing your experience. As I think about what is the difference because when I'm in mindfulness mode, 
Um, the positives uh, in life are more enjoyable, and the negatives are um, workable. Because I, I don't think of, of mindfulness as necessarily a way towards positivity. It certainly can be, but but it's a way to process the the negative things, the unfortunate things, the the sad feelings, and so forth. That is so much easier to handle in mindfulness mode. So it's the experience of um, not this is happening, but I am happening. I'm actively attending to the moment, whatever the moment might be. It doesn't have to be positive. It could be anything, whether it's inside or outside. I'm actively engaged. And I even think, um, based on my research, that in mindfulness mode, we're, we're truly using a, a different part of the brain than when we're in kind of default mode and we're experiencing things passively, almost as if they're happening to us. Even our inner life, we can experience as this is happening to me. And in mindfulness mode, we engage in just a different part of the brain where uh, it's not happening to me. I am happening. Well, I totally agree with you. And I think, I, I think what you said is brilliant when you said, you know, the negatives are workable. Yeah. The negatives are workable because, you know, this is what we do is we tend to push those negatives down. We have anger or we have fear or whatever, and we we push so many of those away and think, oh, that's not good. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to have to face that pain. Mm-hmm. And in fact, the opposite is true. The more you push those things down, the more pain you're apt to have. Wouldn't you agree? I, I agree 100%. And the mindset that leads to I got to push these things down is that here they come. They're happening to me. I've got to get away from them. But these negative things are me. They're things I am doing. Um, mm-hmm. But it's entirely possible to experience them passively as if I'm not doing them. Right. And as soon as I enter the mindset of I am doing this, they shrink they become, I mean, you can have the most negative feeling um, and it can, be, it can be overwhelming, but as soon as you go into experiencing that feeling actively or mindfully, it shrinks and it's not positive. It still doesn't feel good, but it's workable and it processes. It begins to flow just by paying attention to it. Um, you begin to work it out. Uh, but the running from it, I've done my share of running from yes, my yeah, feelings. So right? I. So, um, it's a, just a totally different deal where we end up victims to ourselves. Well, let's talk about NLP. Mm-hmm. So for those of you listening today, you know, you may be listening and think, what on earth is NLP? Neuro linguistic programming, that doesn't really mean much to me. I'm not really sure, not really clear. Can you clear that up for us, those of us who are even just hearing it for the first time? Well, probably not, but I can <laughs> <laughs> But neuro linguistic programming or NLP is started out as a a grassroots movement in at the University of Santa Cruz and in the 1970s with this core group of people 
back in the day, Santa Cruz, the 1970s, kind of hippie, whatever, uh, yeah. counterculture. Mm -hmm. uh, they decided to, you know, explore what makes, uh, what's the structure of our experience on the inside and to try to figure out, um, you know, what is it about that structure and how can we change it? So like, instead of just saying my thoughts, we want to go, well, what specifically makes up our thoughts? Well, I have inner images, mm -hmm. I have inner sounds, I have inner feelings. And with those inner images, what, what are the qualities of those images? Well, I can have big images, small images, images that are close, far away. I can remember something and relive it. I can remember something as an observer, sort of seeing it in the distance. All kinds of different attributes to our inner experience. They began to sort of catalog. And in terms of mindfulness, well, what, N what NLP did is they sort of developed this, um, these awarenesses into methodology. So if you have a big overwhelming problem, we find that, well, what's your inner image of that problem? It's usually a big overwhelming image. Sure. Well, what if you take that big overwhelming image and sort of bring it down to a manageable size? Same problem, same content. Mm -hmm. But it's now not this big, giant, overwhelming image looming over your head. It's just down here. I can look at it. It's like now it's a problem or what have you, but I've, I got my work cut out for me. But it's not structured in my mind so that it's overwhelming me. So they began to develop these interventions. It's like let's change the structure of our inner experience so that it becomes workable or in some cases even solved. Um, I may have a fear of something based on a past experience, and it's like uh, somebody scared me with a snake when I was a child, and now every sure. time I see a snake, I become you know phobic or what have you. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, the snake uh, is a trigger for reliving that experience when you were a child. What would happen if you push that experience off in the distance and observe it as an adult? It becomes less triggering, and now in the present moment – Maybe I'm less triggered by snakes and so forth. So lots of interventions that were developed. Um, and in the last couple of years, I've been sort of playing around with the idea of what if we did, the interventions are wonderful, but what if we used NLP merely to create a greater level of self-awareness or mindfulness? Right. And so... How do we actively observe our experience so that um, we can just be more aware? And what if we just became more aware and observed and that's it, right? Do you have to have all of these fancy interventions? Sometimes they're very helpful, but sometimes it's like, okay, I'm feeling a certain way. Where am I feeling it? Well, my head, my throat, my chest, my belly. Oh, my belly. Well, what shape is the feeling? How big is it? Well, the size of a baseball. What's it doing? Is it moving? Is it pulsating? Yeah, it's kind of pulsating. What color does it seem? What kind of gray, yucky thing? How deep in is it? All these, and just now just observe that baseball. And I find with my clients that when they observe at that detailed level, to do nothing, just be aware, it starts to change and process and flow and dissipate. No other, vent, no other intervention necessary other than detailed self-awareness. So NLP can provide this structure for observing our experience in a very, very detailed way that leads to change. It's very compatible with mindfulness, I found. 
Absolutely. So how would one go about getting immersed in this? Like if someone was feeling tremendously anxious because of something or tremendously stressed out about something, how would they move toward finding this as an answer? Well, in terms of in the moment, right? um, in the moment, become aware of your stress. And then you might ask yourself a question. What am I seeing, hearing, or feeling on the inside right now? And if you haven't, maybe you have a picture. You're playing a movie in your head of something bad happening. Maybe you're talking to yourself, telling yourself, you know what, you're going to fail, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Or maybe you're just aware of this sort of stressful, tense, tight, constricting feeling. Whatever you're most aware of, become aware of it. What are you seeing, hearing, or feeling on the inside? And then pay attention to the qualities of that experience. If it's an image, can you point to it? Is it on the right, the left, the middle? Most of us were not aware of one that, okay, I have an image in my mind right now. We just respond to the image passively, right? It's just there, we're reacting, but we don't go, I have an image in my mind that I'm responding to. And then from there, it's like, where is the image? The right, left, the middle. Most of us don't think my inner space is actually structured in a certain way. Right. So as soon as you start paying attention to these elements of it, you most people find they immediately start to relax because you are now actively, you've engaged sort of your active mind, um, which I think is a you're engaging a different part of your brain than when you're in default mode. And it just gives you a greater sense of being in control of it, even though you're not trying to control it and become aware if it's your tone of it's a, your voice in your head going, you're going to fail. Just become aware. I, I have a voice in my mind. It's telling me you're going to fail. Listen to the voice, listen to the tone. Is it your voice? Is it strangely, does it strangely sound like your third grade teacher? I don't know. I mean, you know, become right. aware of these. And it's enlightening just to be aware at that level of what we're responding to. And we're typically um, not conscious. And that voice telling you you're going to fail is so often known as self-sabotage, you know, that's self-sabotage. And, you know, I've worked in bullying prevention for so long, and that's what happens a lot of times is, you know, they hear a real voice from a real person saying you're a failure, you're a loser, whatever it is, and then they transfer that into their own story and that becomes self-sabotage in a very concrete way because you're almost hearing the voice of the person that was bullying you. Do you have a story about bullying, Mike, that would relate to this, that somehow mindfulness would have improved or helped? As I've thought about that question, um, the story of bullying that, you know, what it reminds me of is is self-bullying. Yes. Uh, it's a, it's a, it, it's bullying ourselves. And w- what I find is mindfulness can be so helpful when we're bullying ourselves. Cause usually if I hear an inner voice, I'm not even aware at the level of this is an inner voice that I'm responding to as if it were real. 
Mm-hmm. And as if it were sometimes these inner voices, they they use the word you. You're going to fail. You're no good. Yes. You it talking to you as if they're someone else. And we respond yes. to them as if someone else is saying to this and this to us and we believe it. Right. And so mindfulness can help this in so many ways. First, becoming aware you have an inner voice and stop resist uh, or you you're no good. You're a failure. Stop resisting that because it's happening. And mindfulness is not just about the positive doesn't negative things are, are so much better if they're experienced mindfully. So here I am. I have a voice you have uh, or you are no good. You're going to fail. People are not going to like you. And I go, okay. Uh, and I've helped clients do this. Um, so it's not my story. It's the story of so many people that I've experienced uh, in working with and teaching them this little technique where you just listen to the voice and then you repeat it. You just, But you change the you to an I. So you are going to fail. Okay, you just the voice in my head just said that to me and I say, okay, I am going to fail. And then you tag on the word and, and it's sort of like, tell me more. I'm going to right. fail. And well, you're going to fail because you're no good. I'm going to fail because I am no good. And it's like, tell me more. It's like, I'm not going to fight you. I'm not just gonna, allow it. Just I'm allow just, it to happen. And I'm just going to acknowledge that you said this to me. Um, this inner voice said this, I'm going to own it. And what happens after a few rounds of doing that is, and I've done this for 20 minutes with someone, which is a lot of rounds, right? So it kind of depends on where you're at. But uh, very often after just listening, repeating it back, I've acknowledged you, I've changed the you to an I, so I'm not experiencing it this, experiencing it as this attack. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going, and tell me more. And after a while, a couple of things happen. One, it goes quiet. And oftentimes, um, people go, well, I'm not hearing anything anymore, right? It's like, what does that mean? It's almost as if there's something wrong. I say, well, just enjoy the quiet, right? Right, right, of course. A lot of us, we're not used to a quiet moment. No. And then sometimes that voice, after being heard, says, and you know, it might not be so bad. Right. It's the story a little bit. And to me, that's one way mindfulness can make a huge difference with the way that we tend to bully ourselves, because I think bullying, whether it's, you know, an inner game or if we're bullying someone else, it all it all starts on the inside. Right. Um, uh, To me, bullies under the surface, people who bully others, um, they're chasing their own helplessness and trying to empower themselves in a way that only leads to more helplessness. And it, it really is an inner, it's an inner phenomenon. And, you know, of course a bully is the last person in the world that may begin, that may admit to this is helplessness. I mean, that's one of those things that they're repressing. But this, this is, that's my answer to that. Yeah. I want to ask you, do you meditate? Is that part of your life, Mike? Yeah. Yeah. Tell us um, about your meditation. My meditation is a, um, what I just call broad awareness. Um, mm-hmm. To me, there's two kinds of awareness. There's focused awareness and broad 
awareness, like vision. I could focus on one thing or I can take in everything in the periphery. Our, our, our feelings are that way too. I can focus on one specific feeling in my body, where it is, feeling in my chest right now about this size and so forth. Or mm-hmm. I can expand my feeling awareness to my whole body. What am I experiencing in my, ti- in my entire body right now? So I, when I meditate, I sort of start, I set a, a timer and it's, it's always between five and seven minutes. Sometimes okay. I go longer, but I like to go, okay, just do this much. Mm-hmm. And it makes a really big difference. I just sit and say, okay, broad awareness, whatever I'm aware of, just acknowledge it. And it, and my eyes are closed. So sometimes it's the broad awareness of sounds in the room. Sometimes it's a broad awareness of how I'm feeling in my entire body. I just sort of gently intend to be broadly aware. And then I acknowledge whatever I become aware of. And if my mind wanders into something, and sometimes I don't catch my mind wandering, but as soon as I do catch it, I go, okay, I'm thinking about my to-do list for today. And then that goes away. So I find that much, um, I guess, easier to do than sort of a focus meditation where you're, you're trying to focus and keep your mind from wandering. It's sort of like I go, okay, let my attention wander wherever it may, and I'm just going to notice it and be aware of where my attention is. And usually after five to seven minutes, I just feel really, really relaxed. Right. I really like that. I have a river flowing just down at the bottom of the ravine here where my studio is. And sometimes I go down and watch the water and, you know, a leaf will float by, a stick will float by, something else. And I think that's just like my thoughts when I meditate, you know, just let it go. I'm not going to jump in and try to stop that leaf. You know, I'm just going to let it go <laughs> right. and not even worry about it. So I really like the way you've you've explained that. I yeah, that's that's really awesome. So, you know, so much of personal development can be improved with NLP. So if someone wanted to learn LL, NLP, I know that you're the guy to talk to. How do you make that happen? Well, um, our website is inlpcenter.org. And there are um, almost too many ways uh, yeah. to, to learn it. But every path we have starts with the NLP practitioner certification training. It's a certification training, professional certification. Not everybody who takes the training really cares about the certification, more about the tools, but some Mm -hmm. people do. Life coaches and mental health counselors, uh, many of them want the professional certification or the continuing education hours or what have you. And how long does that take to complete that? Um, it takes between two and four months to complete okay. on average. Um, we've had people complete it inside of a month, but they typically are devoting um, a lot more time. Usually we tell people this is 80 hours of time between mm-hmm. studying in the online modules, um, attending the online classes uh, that, that we have that are live classes, doing activities and exercises with other people, whether it's with someone that you have in your life, a volunteer or with another student in the school over Skype or what have you. So, but that 80 hours is usually two to four months. Um, There's no deadline on it. Mm -hmm. Take two years if you want to. Okay. Yeah. 
yeah, so it's a it's an online course with a lot of live uh, components and interactivity that uh, that you go through to learn sort of all the classic NLP techniques. And then there's a master practitioner certification and there's a coach certification and there's other tracks uh, mm-hmm. that we have. But it all starts with the basic NLP practitioner certification. It's been around since the, um, you know, the late 1970s. Yes, and I know those courses have great, great reputation. So many people talk about it, and you know, you run across so many people that have been trained through that and mm-hmm. are really are really helping a lot of other people. Not to mention, they've helped themselves as a result of it too. Yeah, the the what sets NLP apart, I think, from a lot of disciplines. And I've been trained in many, many things. There's a lot of great tools. I recommend people just get training, learn, take mm-hmm. courses. Um, that's, it's worth it. Um, what, one of the things NLP is known for is it's like a toolkit. In other words, everything in NLP is actually designed to be an active, uh, intervention, a tool with steps that you can use. So it's not as much conceptual as it is, uh, application oriented. Um, and it's, not learned by learning concepts. It's learned by um, discovering steps, watching someone do those steps, and then having an experience by doing those steps yourself, and then reporting in on what the experience. So it's designed to be an experiential uh, learning. Uh, Without the experience, without doing the activities, you don't really learn NLP. Well, I'm fascinated because I just think that it's such a great way to improve your life and such a great way to to deal with so many of those emotions that you may have been pushing away. But as we move toward the end of the interview, Mike, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So we'll just zoom through these. 30, quest, 30 second answers are perfect. Oh, okay, this is okay. the first one. Who is one person who has affected your mindfulness? Um, I would say Peter Michelson. Uh, Peter Michelson has a website called whywesuffer.com. And he is not a mindfulness uh, coach or a mindfulness therapist. He's a depth psychology coach or therapist. But I worked with him for a while. I've read some of his books. And um, that's, that's who I would recommend because – that's the person I learned about this concept of inner passivity from. Uh, and mindfulness is actively experiencing as opposed to inner passivity. And I'll answer perhaps another question about a book. His book, one of his books is called Phantom of the Psyche. And it's all about inner passivity. And that's the sort of, it's antithetical to mindfulness, inner passivity. Um, and so... There's hope, then maybe two questions. Uh, yeah, for sure. Well, tell us how mindfulness has affected your emotions. Uh, in terms of my emotions, um, I would say that my in, mindfulness has affected my positive emotions by helping me own them more and the, making them more alive, and my negative emotions by making them workable. Uh, to me. It hasn't banished them. It's just made them work. Right. Yeah. I, I really like that way of looking at it. I think that's, that's brilliant. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness. Um, it's part of my mindfulness meditation in the beginning. Mm-hmm. 
But I don't have a breathing mindfulness practice. I just make sure and take a few deep breaths in the very beginning of my meditation Mm -hmm. and really focus on the tension that full lungs creates, the muscle tension. Mm -hmm. And then when I let it out and relax, just noticing the tension release in my chest fall, two or three rounds of that and then I don't really return to the breathing um, but it is an area that that I've been interested in learning more well about. you've shared your book with me but uh, tell us about an app is there an app that you would recommend to help with mindfulness yeah um, again it's not a mindfulness app mm-hmm. though um, it's a habits okay. app and Uh, I use it to create new habits. It's called Good Habits. And it's so simple. You put the name of the habit, something you want to do every day, and then you check whether or not you did it that day. And then that habit goes on a calendar. And you can look at the calendar. And the whole idea is don't break your streak, Mm -hmm. right? And you look back over the months. And to me, it increases mindfulness because it increases awareness, of what I'm doing and I can look back over the month uh, or or what have you and and know where I'm falling down and own that and know where I'm doing well and own that well you've already mentioned this a little bit but how can mindful tribe connect with you and learn more about what you do Uh, so you can go to inlpcenter.org you can go to our Facebook page which is facebook.com slash INLP center. Um, those are probably the two best ways uh, to, to connect with us. Uh, if you want to contact us, you can go to our contact page on the INLP center. I'd be happy to answer any questions that anyone has. About sure. It. Well, Mike, it's been great having you on the show and I really appreciate all the work you're doing with NLP and helping thousands and thousands of people the world over. So thank you very much for being on the show today, Mike. Okay, thanks for having me, Bruce. You're welcome. Bye now. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.